Hey, welcome back to the Flex Diet Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mike T. Nelson. We're on this podcast. We talk about all ways to increase lean body mass, increase performance, and improve body composition, all done in a flexible manner without destroying your health in the process. Today, I've got a very interesting study we're going to break down about a potential supplement uh, that can do all sorts of cool things. Uh, appears to be anabolic, anti-catabolic, it's non-hormonal, may enhance mitochondrial function, may be a good fuel source for high-intensity exercise and weight training, and all of that probably sounds too good to be true, but we'll review some actual data on that. And today's program is brought to you by physiologicflexibility.com. Uh, you can go to physiologicflexibility.com and get on the wait list via the daily newsletter for the next time that it opens. So if you're looking for what is the next level to do with yourself and your clients and athletes, once they're pretty darn good with nutrition, recovery, and exercise itself, my bias is by targeting the four homeostatic regulators in the body, uh, this allows you to be much more anti-fragile, more robust, and increase your recovery ability in record time. Uh, so those four areas would be temperature, pH, your body's ability to regulate O2 and CO2, and fuels such as blood glucose and ketones. So go to physiologicflexibility.com, get on the wait list there. Uh, the next time that it opens, uh, you'll be the first to be notified. In addition to uh, lots of great, wonderful, geeky information like this delivered free into your email box. Um, today we're going to talk about a study <clears throat> that looks at some very interesting effects. So as I hinted to at the beginning of the show... Uh, this uh, supplement, and again, you would only right now be able to find this kind of in a supplemental form per se, um, although it is something that your body will manufacture or make endogenously, makes on its own. Uh, it appears to be anabolic, meaning that it helps build up uh, muscle tissue specifically. Uh, appears to be anti-catabolic, uh, helping reduce the process of tearing down tissue in your body. Now, this is especially beneficial if you are um, cutting or looking to have a fat loss phase. In a perfect world, we want to reduce body fat as low as possible or to wherever is ideal for you. And we want to do that without losing muscle mass and function at the same time. Uh, this may enhance mitochondrial function. Mitochondria are the little powerhouses that make energy in your body. Uh, yes, of course, they do lots of other things, but that's kind of their main job to make ATP, adenosine triphosphate, the energy currency for your body. Uh, this compound is also non-hormonal, uh, doesn't uh, necessarily interact with the hormonal system, uh, which would make it uh, approved as an over-the-counter supplement. Uh, may even be a fuel source for high-intensity intervals, uh, weight training, uh, that type of work. 
Now I know all of that sounds too good to be true. And it sounds like I'm doing some sort of ad for a supplement company. And at this point in time, I don't have any disclosures with any companies. Uh, I do think you will see this in more sports supplements coming up. I've seen it show up in a couple products so far in a little bit higher amounts. It's kind of been on the periphery for quite some time, but usually in just very, very, very tiny amounts. I believe it was under a patent for a period of time, although the patent appears to have expired. So I don't think there's any uh, legal uh, holdups uh, to it. So if you haven't figured out what this is, it is actually lactate. And you may be thinking, well, lactate, wait a minute, that's horrible. I don't want lactate. That's related to lactic acid. You know, doesn't that make my muscles really sore and decrease performance? I don't understand why I would want to take this as a supplement. And I think that's probably still the biggest objection to this as a supplement. So I've been looking at this, oh gosh, going on for almost like six years now. And again, I'm not the first person to think of this. There's uh, very, very early studies um, that have looked at this uh, going back a long way in time. Uh, you can find some uh, studies from, I think the earliest study I could find was at least hinting at this in terms of um, a theory was uh, late 50s, I think. Um, so again, not necessarily a new idea at all. But I think because lactic acid has such a bad rap that anything related to lactate still has a very a poor uh, PR perception in exercise physiology and just the general world. Um, so we're all on the same page. Lactic acid <coughs> is sort of a real thing, but yet uh, not necessarily. Uh, it immediately disassociates from lactic acid into lactate plus hydrogen ions. And it turns out that lactate is a really good fuel source. And it's the hydrogen ions that are the things that bugger up everything else, right? So if you think back to your <clears throat> organic chemistry or even high school chemistry, the definition of pH is the concentration of hydrogen ions. More hydrogen ions, the more acidic something is. So in a real sense, you are creating an acid, hydrogen ions, that are getting dumped into the muscle during high-intensity intervals. When I was in the, the lab doing my PhD at the University of Minnesota, uh, we ran uh, students through a whole bunch of different tests so they could get practice being both the subject and administering them for a 400-level exercise physiology class that I was a TA for. And one of the super fun ones we did is something called a Wingate test. If you've never done this before, I would highly recommend you, you do it at least a couple times. Uh, for this particular test, uh, we had special bikes, but you can do this on a rower and, and some other bikes. Uh, you need something that's going to provide a relatively high resistance, though. What we would do in the lab, uh, we routinely ran a 20-second wind gate. It's also a 30-second, 60-second, and other forms. And with the bike, you would get someone on there. They would do a warm-up period for you know two to five minutes, so they're good to go. They would rest, and then they would pedal as fast as they possibly can with a very, very low load, 
All right, so load we typically would measure in power. So we do 50 or 100 watts. And then when we say go, we would crank it up to, depending upon body weight is what we spec it off of, you know, 300, 400, 500, 600 watts, they would be required to output for 20 seconds. So you're putting out a very, very high amount of power over a relatively short period. And on a bike, at first, you're like, ah, oh, I got this. This isn't too bad. And about halfway through, which is literally only 10 seconds later, uh, you're starting to wonder if you're going to make it. The last few seconds, it literally feels like somebody dumped concrete into your legs and you're pedaling much slower than when you started for sure. After you get off, it feels uh, very nauseating in some people. Uh, we would have a running pool of how many uh, pukers we would have because you would see certain people run to the bathroom very, very fast. Uh, we'd even have people come over from uh, Coach Caldeets and some of his staff were uh, just down the hallway. And so they would kind of come over and peek into the lab when we were uh, doing lactate uh, testing day or Wingate testing, uh, usually because one of the students was puking in the bathroom since we <laughs> shared a bathroom with uh, their gym space. So not a lot of fun. Uh, again, definitely something worth experiencing. Um, but what happens then is your body is literally producing a ton of lactate at that point along with the hydrogen ions. So if you've ever <clears throat> heard of lactate testing, you can do a finger prick or sometimes they'll prick the earlobe or different areas. And we can measure the amount of lactate that is produced. Uh, if you're looking at higher end endurance uh, performance testing, lactate threshold testing is relatively common. The theory there is you want to exist at a high uh, running speed, but hang out just under the lactate threshold. Right? The lactate threshold is that point where the accumulation of lactate starts to be exponential. And if you can hang out just under that, you're producing and clearing lactate at the same rate. So it's going to kind of suck, but it's not going to be too completely miserable. Once you start producing a lot more lactate than you can clear, remember lactate is showing up with those hydrogen ions at the same time. That is going to make your life very, very miserable quite fast and your speed will have to slow down. So even with lactate threshold testing, we're using lactate as a proxy for hydrogen ions. We just don't really have a good way of measuring hydrogen ions in the muscle. That's a handheld test. So again, I think that's why lactate tends to get a bad rap. Uh, athletes know that if they're at a high lactate level doing exercise, that it sucks. So you kind of associate that, well, it must be the lactate because lactate is showing up at that point. And as we mentioned in the intro, it turns out lactate is a really, really good fuel. Your brain loves lactate. Uh, so Dr. George Brooks, kind of the exercise physiology godfather of uh, lactate research, um, him and other colleagues have been looking at IV infusions of lactate, maybe even uh, post-concussion, because the brain can use lactate. Uh, the brain can also use ketones quite well, too. Uh, I did a program for uh, the Kerrig Institute, where I'm associate professor, on potential use of a ketogenic diet or state of ketosis or supplements to increase ketone levels um, in relation to concussion and traumatic uh, brain injury. So you'll be able to find a link uh, for that program. 
So I think alternative energy sources are an interesting way to look at exercise fizz. Uh, the cardiac system loves using lactate. So lactate itself is a relatively high energy substrate. Uh, when we normally have it produced though by the body, it almost always comes with the cost of having these high levels of hydrogen ions associated with it. So while it is used during high intensity exercise, it's the hydrogen ions itself that actually limit how much of it can be uh, produced. Uh, it's a little bit of an oversimplification. There's some other enzymes and some other pathways that get limited there too. So uh, back to the new study. This is uh, published in Current Research Physiology 2021, uh, published date of September 16th, so pretty much brand new. It is titled, The Effect of Lactate Administration on Mouse Skeletal Muscle Under Caloric Restriction. Uh, the main researcher, their last name is Shahari, uh, S-H-I-R-A-I, and we'll have a link uh, to that here for you also. Uh, so this model, again, I'll go over the pros and the cons um, of it. Um, but what they were doing here is they're using uh, something called CR, or caloric restriction, uh, involves reduction of caloric intake without altering nutrient balance, uh, may have other beneficial effects such as improving oxidative metabolism and potentially extending lifespan. Now, if we look at the extension and lifespan, what we see compared to other research is caloric restriction of 40 to 60%, pretty effective in uh, earthworms, nematodes, uh, but be starts becoming less and less effective as you uh, scale up into humans. Um, two of the studies that were done in chimps were kind of sort of mixed results. That's a whole podcast in and of itself. Um, but in humans, how well caloric restriction works is <clears throat> still up for debate. Um, but for lifters, such as yourself listening to this podcast, we can think of less kind of extreme forms as just cutting calories in order to lose body fat. Uh, caloric restriction, at least in an above model, in a study gives us kind of the more extreme form, right? We're probably not going to, in this study, reduce their calories by 40% overnight. I'm not a big fan of very restrictive diets that are extreme, especially for long periods of time. However, this does give us a model of kind of a worst case scenario, that if we're still seeing positive adaptations with that, then might be something to look at a little bit further. So in this, they had three groups. They had a control group, they had a caloric restriction group that uh, cut their calories by about 40%. Again, this was in mice, which is a downside of the study, uh, but it's easier to do things in animal models a lot of times than humans. And they had a group that they gave a daily lactate administration to, uh, which they said was equivalent to about uh, one gram per kg of body weight. And this study was, again, relatively uh, short-term, uh, but some interesting data. So if we back up a little bit, uh, we know that in most people, uh, skeletal muscle mass accounts for at least 30 to 40% of the human body. Obviously, lifters is going to be uh, much higher uh, than that. Uh, we know that this can be uh, made to increase by exercise performance, proper nutrition, we know that periods of inactivity cause skeletal muscle mass to go down quite fast. Um, we also know that if you slash calories severely, 
that you can lose muscle mass, especially if your protein intake is not on the higher end of the spectrum. Um, so I helped with the book chapter uh, looking at that. Again, you're going to be at around 0.7 grams per pound of body weight. Um, even the case in some short-term human subject studies, that's going to be a pretty good buffer um, against losing a lot of protein in the form of muscle tissue. <clears throat> As you mentioned, caloric restriction may be associated with improved lifespan, health, decreased mortality in other animal studies. Again, this is very hard uh, to study in humans. Uh, there are a group of humans who have sort of self-selected to dramatically slash their calories by 40 to 60%. You can look up groups like the cronies. Uh, a lot of times they don't have a lot of muscle mass and they look pretty miserable. Um, so I'm not convinced that caloric restriction in and of itself is the best for longevity. Again, you can probably find other podcasts where we've talked about that. But here, it's a good model because it is the extreme form of a more fat loss-based uh, type diet. Another side part note here before we get into the study more. Uh, I did propose something called the 4S model of macronutrients. Uh, this is in the the Keto Traumatic Brain Injury Course for the Kerrigan Institute I talked about. It's also in the Kerrigan Institute's Human Performance uh, System. I did the nutrition and HRV portion for that course. And we tend to think of macronutrients, right, protein, fats, carbohydrates, as just things that are sustenance, that are fuel. Uh, however, they do have other functions. Uh, one of those other functions is signaling. Right In the Flex Diet Cert, I go through how protein, uh, especially leucine and essential amino acids, are required for the response of muscle protein synthesis. Taking amino acids, right, the building blocks of protein, and shoving them into muscle to make the muscle a little bigger and stronger. Turns out the main one there is a leucine. Leucine is going to start the muscle protein synthetic response. So when you consume protein-rich foods like whey and other foods, it has leucine. So leucine there is serving primarily a signaling role. So there are other facets of macronutrients, uh, again, that are useful for that. So keep that in mind. So it turns out here that lactate administration has been reported to enhance not only signaling and oxidative metabolism, uh, but also protein synthesis in skeletal muscle, which I thought was pretty interesting. So not only can lactate be used as a fuel, kind of follows the, the 4S model there, and that it does have specific signaling effects in and of its own. Uh, it appears to increase uh, both the phosphorylation of something called the P70S6 kinase, uh, which is downstream of mTOR signaling mTOR being mammalian target of rapamycin or mechanistic target of rapamycin. That is the main little structure guy that we want to increase if we want to see additional uh, protein response, i.e. bigger muscles. And it turns out lactate um, may increase mitochondrial biogenesis. So mitochondria, little furnaces that make ATP, and biogenesis is creating more of them. 
So in theory, that would be beneficial for exercise performance. Uh, last part too is that there's some data that lactate may suppress uh, some of the catabolic responses. So catabolic tearing down of muscle tissue, especially under low levels of calories, right? So caloric restriction in this case. So in this study, they used a specific strain of mice <clears throat> that were aged for seven uh, to eight weeks. They were kept in temperature controlled areas. They had them uh, specific uh, light, dark uh, cycling. Uh, the control group had what's called ad libidium access to food. Uh, they used a protein fat carbohydrate ratio of 23% protein, 5% fat and 71% carbohydrates. And then they divided them into three groups. We have one group that they call the phosphate buffered administration group, which is just the control group. Um, they've got the caloric restriction group, and then they've got the lactate plus caloric restriction um, group. And if we look at what testing they did, they used uh, grip strength testing, which is pretty common in animal uh, models as a marker of performance. They did a whole bunch of other stuff to the little guys. They did muscle fiber cross-sectional area uh, from the gastrocnemius muscle, <clears throat> calf muscle. They looked at antibodies via Western blotting. They looked at enzyme activity, uh, such as citrate synthase, uh, succinate dehydrogenase, etc. Blah, blah, blah. A whole bunch of uber geeky stuff. Um, what they found uh, was pretty darn interesting. Um, so body weight was significantly lower in the caloric restriction and the lactate <clears throat> plus caloric restriction groups. Uh, now, this is what you would expect, right? So if the little mice were, were doing well with their caloric restriction, which again, that's the advantage of using mice and have it be controlled. Uh, humans don't tend to do real well in severe caloric restriction in terms of compliance. We would expect that with caloric restriction, you would see drop in body weight. And that's exactly what we saw. Uh, the wet weight of the plantaris and gastrocnemius muscles, so in this study they <coughs> looked at both in terms of weight, uh, were significantly lower in the caloric restriction and caloric restriction plus lactate groups compared to the control group. Again, now statistically significant just means that that's probably a real uh, effect and we'll come back to this point also so lactate wasn't completely able to ameliorate uh, the drop in terms of all of the loss of muscle uh, but keep that in mind we'll come back um, to that uh, grip strength was significantly lower in the caloric restriction uh, group than in the control group Again, we would expect some drop in performance there. They looked at the cross-sectional area of muscle fibers. So how big are little individual fibers? And again, they were significantly lower in the caloric restriction and the lactate uh, plus caloric restriction groups. What was interesting though, is that the transverse area of the myofibrils were significantly higher in the lactate plus caloric restriction group than compared to just the caloric restriction group itself. So maybe there's some sort of weird differential effect going on here when you're adding lactate to caloric restriction also. Now again, as we mentioned above, that didn't completely ameliorate all of the drops with caloric restriction. 
However, we're looking at a caloric restriction effect here of around 40%. So in my opinion, if you were going to put someone on a fat loss diet and you slash their calories by 40%, that is very, very aggressive in my biased opinion. They looked at some of the mitochondria-related protein and enzyme activation. Uh, this is looking at the effects of caloric restriction on mitochondria, different levels of something called AMPK. They looked at AMPK was not different between groups, which I thought that was kind of interesting. AMPK you can think of as kind of the opposite of mTOR. If you're increasing AMPK, which normally happens during periods of fasting and caloric restriction, <clears throat> mTOR is usually seeing the opposite effect. Related to mitochondria, they looked at something called PGC1-alpha. Uh, this is widely regarded as kind of the master regulator of mitochondria. They looked at some of the downstream uh, functions of those guys too, like MTC01 and ATP5A. What they found was that in the mitochondrial complex, uh, these downstream and PGC1-alpha were significantly higher in caloric restriction and lactate plus caloric restriction groups compared to the control. In general, what's well, an oversimplification, uh, without exercise, <clears throat> if we reduce calories, uh, PGC1-alpha tends to go up. What we see is that lactate uh, did not reduce that effect in caloric restriction. And that's probably a good thing, right? So we're seeing some mitochondrial benefits, at least at a mechanistic level, uh, with caloric restriction. <clears throat> and that was still there when we added the lactate to it. So to quote the study here in the discussion, in this present study, we investigated the effects of lactate administration on skeletal muscle adaptation and its molecular mechanisms under caloric restriction, focusing on muscle anabolic and catabolic signaling and mitochondria. Our data suggested lactate administration suppressed the decrease in myofibril cross-sectional area and enhanced mitochondrial function under caloric restriction. As a result, body weight decreased significantly from the beginning to the end of the experimental period, and the reduction of muscle weight due to caloric restriction <coughs> was not rescued by lactate administration. However, lactate administration did prevent the decrease in grip strength and cross-sectional area due to caloric restriction. Now, these results indicate that lactate administration suppressed the decrease in muscular strength caused by caloric restriction. <coughs> so in English, the lactate did seem to reduce some of the, quote, negative gains or negative effects of caloric restriction. And as we talked about related to muscle protein synthesis, uh, expression levels of P70S6K and S6 uh, related to muscle protein synthesis were also decreased by caloric restriction, and, but they were rescued by lactate administration. So we saw a slight bump in those guys, which means lactate under caloric restriction was becoming a little bit more anabolic from a signaling perspective. Again, as we kind of sum up uh, what they found here is that lactate uh, may be beneficial under caloric restriction. <clears throat> they said, quote, in the present study, we found that lactate administration under a caloric, res caloric restriction increased the activity of mitochondrial respiratory chain complex proteins, mitochondrial enzymes such as uh, 
citrate synthase and succinate dehydrogenase. So lactate was making mitochondria more beneficial in this uh, particular study. Uh, last quote here is, these results strongly suggest that lactate is not only an important factor in mitochondrial adaptation, but also an important signaling molecule that activates muscle hypertrophy signaling. In a future study, it will be necessary to examine the combination of lactate with resistance exercise and amino acid intake to increase muscle size and study the role of lactate on muscle size and the signaling molecules that regulate it. So pretty interesting. Again, this is a mouse study. And the downsides of some of this research <coughs> to me are, again, this is a mouse study. So we don't know how this would translate to humans. Uh, we could speculate, but mm, my studies a lot of times don't translate to humans all that well. Uh, however, they do make some very interesting mechanistic stuff, make it much easier to do earlier research, and then see if that can be replicated in humans. If we look at the effect of lactate to increase uh, high-intensity exercise performance, um, I'll link some of those studies below. Uh, I won't go through all of them. I'll just highlight a couple. It's pretty darn split, right? So in theory, you would think that if you can get more lactate to be a fuel, you should be able to see an increase in exercise performance. Um, some of the studies looking at that, meh, not really super efficacious, but the data on that is very limited. Uh, that gets into what type of exercise performance are you looking at? How did you measure it? Are you looking to what they did with some early caffeine research? Ride time to exhaustion versus time trials. Uh, what was the dose? How long was the dose uh, given? Was it acute? Was it given for many days beforehand? Etc. And we just don't have a whole lot of data that's looked at lactate <clears throat> as a supplement to increase performance. Uh, what's interesting about this study, though, is maybe lactate is providing other different effects, and maybe it could be used for periods of caloric restriction um, for athletes that are looking to preserve as much muscle mass as possible, maybe getting some slight increase in mitochondrial function, and if it could potentially help with <clears throat> high-intensity interval exercise, that would be kind of a nice bonus too. So to wrap up, a very interesting study, uh, effects of lactate administration on mouse skeletal muscle under caloric restriction. Uh, I do think that lactate may have uh, a role in terms of a supplement. Uh, how exactly that would be used is still up for debate, uh, but this study shed some light that maybe there's some effects on reducing muscle loss under uh, periods of fat loss, so caloric uh, restriction of different uh, types, and maybe it can help preserve mitochondrial function or potentially increase it. Um, I do think that is worth future studies. As I said in the intro, I've spent oof, started looking at this five or six years ago. I've talked to several different supplement companies, uh, good friends I know who formulate for different companies. And at first I kind of thought this would be a no-brainer, especially if there isn't a patent or anything um, impeding it. And so far, pretty much everybody thinks I'm kind of crazy except for a couple people. 
Um, I do think it'll probably show up as a supplement at some point. If people are interested on more of the <clears throat> all the data, the research and everything on that, they know where to find me. Yes, I know, of course, someone could take all this information and go develop as a supplement on their own and not credit me, which is, at this point, I'm totally fine because I just want to know, is it actually going to work or not? But of all the supplement research that's done, I would say this has pretty good physiologic basis. We have lots of earlier data of how it may work. We've got some new data such as this one. And in terms of actual data potentially supporting it, it has much more data than uh, most new supplements that come out. So if anyone is interested in looking at that further, uh, you know where to find me. But as of this recording, I don't have any disclosures related to that. Um, I do go in-depth on uh, lactate, other effects of some of the buffers um, in the effect of pH, because pH is one of the homeostatic regulators. And in the physiologic flexibility course, I talk a lot about that, how we can do periods of time of increasing uh, pH, periods of time of a decreasing pH. We're not necessarily trying to get your blood pH to change all that much, um, but we're trying to increase your body's ability to be adapted to high and low periods of pH, just like temperature. Temperature is another homeostatic regulator. We're not looking to change your body temperature per se, but we are looking to have you be more accustomed at periods of cold and periods of heat, uh, because I believe that will make you a more anti-fragile robust individual and will increase your body's inherent recoverability if that is such a word uh, so there you go uh, again this is brought to you by the physiologic flexibility course go to physiologicflexibility.com you'll be able to go on the wait list there so the next time that it is offered you'll be the first to know thank you so much for listening to this i have all the references that i've talked about uh, below and I've added a few more. Again, it's not an exhaustive list, but it'll keep you busy for a little while. If you enjoyed this, uh, leave us a review on iTunes or whatever your favorite platform is, and make sure to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. Greatly appreciate it. Talk to you next time.